This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. The interiors that New York designer Alex Papagristides creates are traditional, but never old-fashioned, richly detailed, but never lugubrious. He has the rare gift of being able to deftly mix bold patterns and jeweled tone colors, rare antiques and contemporary design, silks and paisleys, rich woods and gleaming metals, magical murals, and the most rigorous and refined detailing. His style is old world, mixing Parisian elegance with Greek exuberance, but never old hat. And he never loses sight of how people want to live today. In fact, he loves introducing a new generation to living large, and many of his clients are his own nephews and nieces, which is not surprising since family and friends have always been central to his life, and his clients invariably become his friends. His interiors, like he himself, are larger than life, but down to earth, thoughtful and joyous, and a delight to be around. His second book, The Elegant Life, full of dazzling homes and even a playhouse, was published in Rizzoli last fall. So welcome, Alex, to the Cherish Podcast. It's an honor to be here. So glad you're here. I want to talk to you about your process, and then we'll go a little bit back into how you got started and everything. Because one of the things I love about your work, Alex, is, you know, as I said, it's very traditional, but it never feels dated or old hat or like a house museum or a showroom or anything. They're so individual. So how do you go about thinking about when a client comes to you and says, I have like an apartment I want you to do, whether it's on Park Avenue or downtown, what's your process? I know some designers say, oh, I start with the rug, I start with the palette. How do you think about a space? So really, I start with the client. And, and, and my approach to decorating is truthfully to get to know my clients and understand how they want to live and how they're going to live in this apartment or this house and how they're going to use it. You know, do they have dogs? Do they have children? Do they have grandchildren? What's the process? Are they eating in the kitchen? Are they eating in their dining room every night? Are they entertaining? Are they rarely entertaining? You know, should their living room be more of a library or a family room? Where are we putting toys? You know, I don't like to rush into it. I like to sort of get to know each other. I like to take the client shopping, believe it or not. I still like to go to the D&D building. I wanted to ask you about that, right? Some clients don't like it and some clients love it. You know, I believe that I think it's sort of what makes me proud about my new book, Michael, is truthfully that I am showing the range of what I do. And I don't do one thing. I do a variety of things. You know, I have divine old clients, and, and I don't mean old in terms of their age, but clients who Long have done— Long-term. Right. Clients who I've done five homes for, there's no color. That's just who they are. They don't want color. You know, for them, gray is a color. You know, gray is not a color to me. You know, I personally live in an apartment full of color and prints and layering. Some of my clients come to me for that, and some of them, that's not how they want to live. And I respect that. And I actually, you know, it's one of the reasons why I do what I do, because it's always new and it's always fun. We don't repeat a print. 
Yes, we repeat solids because sometimes, you know, there's just that right quality of solid for curtains or something or that perfect satin that I love and I'll use it in a different shade. But, you know, again, it's interesting for me to do things in a new way. It's another reason why I use so many vintage things and antiques because I don't want to be stuck using that same games table or that same set of chairs. And, you know, yes, I am guilty of it sometimes, but I try to really always look to evolve, to change my sensibility, to understand the essence of who the client is and how they want to live and create an interior for them that they wouldn't be able to do on their own, but is an expression of who they are and how they want to live. It's interesting. Like you really start with the reality of the day-to-day of the client. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like maybe you want to elevate it and make it more beautiful, but you start with the everyday. Well, our whole life is about our everyday existence and how we use our homes. And, you know, a home is a living thing to me, Michael. It's a place where we're eating, we're using, it's, it's about comfort. You know, again, like I test every piece of upholstery in muslin before it goes to a client. I am very conscious that things should be comfortable. You know, I tell my clients, you know, I love, if the, if the living room's big enough, I like to put a games table in the living room because I feel like it draws you into the living room. I'm sure everybody's sick of hearing me say this, but it's called your living room because you're meant to live in it. It's not (laughs) called the once in a while visit room. You know, I want you to live in your house. I want you to enjoy your interiors and I want you to feel comfortable sitting everywhere. You should, you know, I say to clients, a games table is divine in the living room. You can spread out and read the paper. You know, normally the living room in in most houses is 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 a very sort of bright cheery large room and it's a house feels better once it's lived in do you know right i hate to go to houses you don't want to feel like there's a velvet rope in front of it it's so sad michael and then what's the point it's like a waste to me i like house we we use our apartment we sit in our library I sit in my living room all the time. I have a, a certain club chair that I sit in. And, you know, I also, I'm also one of those crazy people who still likes a landline. You know, all my friends. That is always, crazy. <laughs> Michael, I have two, three phone line landlines in my living room. So if I want to pick up a call, I can sit here. And if I want to call somebody else, or I like the idea of, of making rooms very usable to who you are. Now, you mentioned color, and it is one of the things that going through the book really struck me. I mean, I know you use color. I mean, your apartment is full of color. But the range of color and the way you use it is so interesting to me. You know, some of the rooms are actually very modern that you use color. I mean, you do have some pale apartments and houses in here in the book, but it's so much color. So where do you look for color inspiration? Oh, my God, everywhere, Michael. You know, (laughs) a a great exhibit at the Met. You know, I'll walk into the Met and I'll see an incredible 18th century painting and I'll see the way they've used that kind of okra and rust and the, you know, those sort of pale shades of blues and greens and just the the palette of of painting. And sometimes also, you know, contemporary art, you know, the way they use these colors and, and... it can be anywhere. It can be in a flower. It can be in a field. It can be in a garden that inspires me. I never forget, you know, one year I went to the ballet and all the costumes were yellow and gray. And I thought, how beautiful is that combination of sort of butter yellow and gray? 
And then I sort of took it to another place and I, I, I had the client add coral to it. And I love the combination of gray and coral and sort of butter yellow. So my office is that. It's gray and coral and yellow. And that was from going to a ballet. So I'm constantly inspired and I'm constantly looking for inspiration, going to exhibits, going to museums, watching old movies. You know, I'll, we'll be watching an old movie and I'll be like, oh my God, stop play. Look at that <laughs> lampshade. Or, oh my God, look at the detail on the skirt of that sofa. And I got to take up my phone and take a picture because it, it goes back to the great expression, you know, life's a banquet. Most poor suckers are starving. You know, we've got to be out there and looking and absorbing and and sort of just constantly keeping our eyes opened and exposing ourselves to new things and a variety of things to be inspired. Now, since you got started in decorating, which I believe was almost inadvertent, was it not? Well, it was crazy, Michael, really. You know, it never (laughs) crossed my mind. It had never crossed my mind to be a decorator. And it's a very, 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 I was, so I'm born and raised Greek and I grew up in New York and I went to school in New York and then I went to Skidmore in Saratoga. And then I came back to New York and I sort of didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, being sort of a very family oriented person, my family wanted me to go into the shipping business. And I didn't really have that feeling of great interest in oil tankers. But again, (laughs) I thought, you know what, let's give it a try. Mm -hmm. I know I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I tried it. And um, I started off by working for Frank B. Hall, which was an insurance broker that had a training program for the, the sons of ship owners, and I did that for a while. And then I went to a ship brokering firm, and I just didn't feel it. And I felt— But you really gave it a try. I really did. I did it for two yeah. years, Michael. And yeah. I really yeah. felt very torn about it. And and in a certain way, I felt almost guilty for not loving it. But my family was unbelievable, incredibly supportive. And they're like, look, we want you to be happy, and we want you to do something that makes you happy. So I— thought to myself, you know, what are the things I love? You know, I love food, I love flowers, and I love fashion. So, you know, I looked at all those things and I said, no, I don't want to be in the restaurant business. No. Rough business. Uh Uh-uh. I did flowers for a couple of people's weddings as a favor. I mean, it's worth every dollar you pay for a flower arrangement (laughs) because it is hard work. They're perishable. You have to hand open. I mean, it is such a process, flowers. And, you know, nobody loves beautiful flowers more than me, but it's an intense work. And then the fashion business, I just felt like it just wasn't what I wanted to do. It felt very, very tough. And I, I wanted something that felt just very natural for me. And I was really sort of sad and at a loss. And I called my best girlfriend, a girl by the name of Laura Brumond, and she comes over And she looked around and she looked at me and she said, Alex, you have great taste. You should be a decorator. And Michael, it was like a lightning bolt hit me in the head. It (laughs) was, I mean, talk about, you know, I just, an epiphany of, oh my God, I never thought of it. You know, it's so crazy because all the things that I naturally loved became my job. Michael. And I still, you know, I still do menus for people. Mm -hmm. I still help their cooks with I know you love to entertain. 
I love to entertain, Michael. I love flowers. I work with my florists. You know, I use an incredible party planner by the name of David Mon. We're like, Probably you know, we're David. so close. We we know each other so well. He shows me every detail. You know, so I still love the flower business. I still love the food business. I help my clients do their weddings, help them choose their wedding dresses. So there's a fashion aspect. So all the things that I loved are still a part of my life, but decorating is just everything to me. It brings it all together. Well, it is, and it's just, I love it so much. And, you know, also, of course, being a shopaholic that I am, you know, it's a great (laughs) outlet to constantly be buying You're going to send other people's money. You know? Well, I spent plenty of my own, trust me. I'm sure. Scott's I'm no always like, is that new? I'm like, no, 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 that's new. My partner's like, is that new? I'm like, well, maybe it is. And maybe, you know, it's, it's sort of the constant love of beauty and collecting and creating collected and personal interiors for my clients as I do for myself and my family. And yes, family is huge because the moment my girlfriend, Laura, said, you should be a decorator. I ran out to Parsons and I started school there and I took courses and I loved the history of decorative arts. And then they started talking about electrical work and plumbing in semester two. And I was like, sayonara, I'm out of here. <laughs> you knew you could hire someone else to do that. <laughs> I, I was never, you know, it's so many decorators are so interested in the process of how things work. I am not one of those decorators. I'm interested on, is it comfortable? Is it well-priced? Is it a good piece of furniture? You know, does it make sense? I don't want to know how it was made and how it works. No, no, I don't have time for that. I want to know that it's done, it's beautiful, and it's available, and we can buy it. That's what I want to know. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Now, you had mentioned, I want to ask you, because you had mentioned you like to actually take client shopping. Now, I know certain designers who say they hate to take their client shopping, that it confuses them. Is it because your clients are more sophisticated, you think, and are, are open to it? I think, Michael, I've had a range of every kind of client. And yes, I have super sophisticated clients who almost fancy themselves able to do the job without me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they still really need me. But, you know, I have everything. And I have clients who are young people who've never had a decorator and I'm their first decorator. And they are so thankful and so cute. And so, you know, they love the process. You know, I just feel like it gives people understanding also of what we do. That this is not, you know, we're not in a factory sending out, you know, widgets. We are sort of, much to my office's chagrin, we're reinventing the wheel every time. You know, that the moment they think that I like something, I'm like, mm, no, this time I want it a little different because I like that. And my clients will say to me, oh, have you ever used that fabric before? I'm like, absolutely not. And that's why I like it because it's new, it's individual, it's different. 
It's good for the clients. It's good for me. It's a good way to get to know them also, Michael, because mm-hmm. I don't want them to not like something. You yeah, know, see what they gravitate toward. Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and I've had this conversation before with people. Sometimes you can tell by what people are wearing and and sort of how they dress and their personal style. But some people, you know, are very neutral in their personal dress and like a lot of color in their interiors. You know, me, I'm like Mr. Navy Blue. I mean, when I go to Bergdorf's and say to my salesman, you know, he's like, you really need that? It's blue. I'm like, (laughs) it's what I like. You know, but in my interiors, oh, my God, I, I have so many colors and prints. And I mean, yes, do I have a couple of, like, fun printed pants to wear to, you know, party. tropical parties right. or something? You know, like, I don't wear printed shirts. I don't wear printed any, but I love a print. So, you know, it's a process of getting to know your clients. And I think taking them out with you is a wonderful way of understanding what they gravitate to. Also in furniture, you know, some people are very sophisticated and understand things and some people aren't and they don't know what they like. And I always tell people, go to the best stores and look at the best quality of things because then you know when you're in a flea market and you can spot something that's wonderful and good quality or you can look at that and say, ah, I've seen that, what I see in the auction catalog. You know, I saw something very similar at the Met. And, you know, it's nothing like the price of what it would cost. Right. The exact same one at the Met. But you've exposed yourself and sort of taught yourself about the best of everything. And, you know, we go antiquing and we go to vintage stores and we go to, you know, auction houses and we go to Stanford. We go to the flea market in Paris and we go to the dealers in Paris. And, you know, we go everywhere. And it's, they also, you know, I make it fun, Michael, because I was going to say, I was fun. just about to say, I suspect that your clients enjoy it enormously because well, you because are we have a good bringing time. such pleasure to them. Yes. Well, we absolutely. have a good time. It mm-hmm. should be a fun process to me, Michael. I mean, everything you do in life, you should do with somebody who makes it a positive experience. You know, we're constantly bombarded with so much negativity in the world we live in. The things we pay for should be engaging and positive and happy and fun. Well, especially with the amount of money you're getting some of those clients to spend. You know, you better make it fun. <laughs> but, and I like what I do, though, Michael. Right. You know, it's I, genuine. I genuinely love what I do. I love the sport of the shopping. I love the D&D building. You know, I don't see so many of my compatriots in the D&D building. And I love it. And I'll tell you something. I'll go to the D&D building and I'll see a fabric that I, I've seen 20 years ago and it's still hanging there. And I've always liked it. And this client likes it. And you know, it's like, it's so great to see something wonderful and old and we can use it in a fresh way. And I've always had a hankering for it, but I've never used it. So I love that because there's so many choices today. Right. So many. I think it's very smart the way you think of the D&D or 200 Lex even too, or any show, Atlanta, whatever. They're really repositories of history in a way. Yes, they yes. have what's new in the latest collections and what the trends are and all that. But they also have, like you were saying, have fabrics that have been out for 50 years. And you maybe you see them in a new light because God knows we're always looking at the past in a different way. Absolutely. And also, we're, our eye is evolving. Of course. And sometimes maybe something we passed over 
all of a sudden it refers to something that brings relevance to the job or to the client's sensibility. And I think that's so important. Now, one of the things I love about the book, I mean, I knew this about you, but I think a lot of people don't, is the range. You were mentioning that you love to do a range of things. You have more contemporary, you have younger people's apartments, you have beach houses. Like I said, you even have that charming little playhouse that you designed. And I think that that's so great. But I would say overall that you have a rather old world approach. Is that fair totally, to say? Totally, Michael. Yeah. 100%. Look, I'm sort of conservative, old school, kind of, you know, the history of decorating is so important to me, Michael. The moment I started going to school and learning about decorating, I went out and bought all the great old interiors books and sort of trained my eye, you know, Francis Elkins and Elsa DeWolf and David Adler and, and you know, Mongiardino and Henri Samuel and Georges Foix, you know, all of the great sort of predominantly European, but many American decorators, and the style icons of the 20th century, sort of the great, most stylish people, Cary Grant and Charles DeBastigui, who who was this incredible sort of decorative junkie and host <laughs> who, I mean, he was he was just, he hired Emilio Terry. If you're not familiar with Charles DeBastigui, you should Google him. He was amazing. And he had great taste and style. He had an incredible palazzo in Venice, an amazing chateau outside of Paris, an unbelievable apartment in Paris. And, you know, there are so many people and history who inspired me. You know, the Reitzman Galleries at the Met are just so beautiful. And talk about color. You know, to look at the use of color in those rooms is just so beautiful, even in a contemporary setting. I love shopping for contemporary furniture and contemporary design things. I love finding new vendors and I love the way Jerry Bland sort of mixes 18th century contemporary art and contemporary artisans. You know, I love that. And I also think by using antiques and modern things, it makes things feel permanent. It makes them feel as if, you know, it grounds, the, the antiques ground the contemporary furniture. They give it sort of gravitas. And again, I tell my young clients, you know, antiques are green. It's so nice to use vintage things and antiques because what's happening to them? Where are they going? I mean, beautiful Georgian brown furniture. You know, I did a pop-up, the, the, the Winter Antique Show. Bunny Williams and Stephen Sills and myself were asked to be the chairs of it. And I did a pop-up and I said, I am using brown furniture because it can be so pretty and it can be so... You know, it's the quality of the woods, beautiful. And it's just, it's undervalued. And we should be buying brown furniture at auction rather than be buying, you know, all new things. I, I understand that we should have contemporary stuff, but mix of course. it. But, but you have to admit, Alex, and this is one I wanted to ask you about, it, you know, brown furniture, antiques in general, for a long time were out of fashion. I mean, I think now there's a return to prettiness and to Gournay wallpapers and that kind of thing, and younger generations have discovered it. But did you suffer during those years where it was like all mid-century modern and white or Pierre Paulin? No, 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 no. I learned from it. I learned from it because I, I I needed to do that and I understand it. And I'm constantly trying to sort of 
understand what's going on in the world and understand trends because, you know, truthfully, you know, I'm a tradesman. I mean, I need to know what's going on. I need to know where people are looking and what they want to do and what they want. And I think that's important. Now, I think a lot of my clients come to me and are quite open-minded. And we sort of sit down and have the conversation together and understand how they want to live. And I also believe in giving my clients value and explaining to them that what is value now? What kind of furniture, what kind of things are smart to collect? You know, where should we buy things? Where should we buy quality furniture that is undervalued? And, you know, I have, I have a client who who's doing very contemporary interiors in, a, in, a, in you know, one of these big tower buildings in New York, a very modern apartment. And she came to me and she said to me, you know, I think that this is like the next, you know, Ruhlman of a contemporary designer. And I said, I think his work's beautiful. I can't promise you anything. All I can tell you is that in decorating, you should never buy furniture as an investment. You should buy furniture because you love it and because you can afford it. Because the most important thing is that your house, it shouldn't, it's not a show place. It's a place to live and to enjoy things. Because if you're buying something that's very au courant now, chances are everybody changes their taste at the same moment. Boom. We have Everything seen it hits so the market. Often. Right. Everything hits, I mean, it's history. Everything hits the market. Everybody's selling the same stuff at the same time. And they're like, well, where's the value? Well, but that's what happened. So I have never bought anything in my life, Michael, as an investment. I have only bought what I love. I have things that I bought in the village on the street from artists. I have Lalan. I have 18th century furniture. I have, you know, beautiful painting, you know. I bought my Walton Ford. It was $1,500 from Paul Kasman. And you used to be able to get Lalonde very inexpensively. Now you can't even Michael, breathe you know how it. much Lalonde my clients have? Right. I mean, like chocolates in a right. box they have. Right. Now, And I <laughs> never bought it, Michael, because I thought it was an investment. I bought it because I thought it was beautiful and I believed in it. So I tell my clients, buy what you love and you want to live with. And if you change your taste, and also, let's get it for a good value. Let's right. not overpay right. for things. Because whenever you're overpaying for things... You don't enjoy them, and you feel you were taken advantage of eventually. And you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But there's always those, those trends in the market where things are in and out of fashion, and there's always places to buy value. Silver. Nobody wants to polish silver, right? So I used to have... Scott and I in our apartment, my partner... We used to have all silver-plated trays, right? Over the last five or six years, maybe even more, I've replaced them all with solid silver trays. Michael, I buy solid silver trays for $800. You know, these trays were $18,000. You buy them at auction for $800 for beautiful solid silver tray made by James Robinson or Tiffany. So there's always these places in the market where... Things are changing, and you should pay attention. And look, do I care if they ever come back or not? If they're in or out of fashion, I just love that I have something that's beautiful quality and is great value. 
Now, I want to press a little bit on something at the beginning that we touched on with was your process. I mean, you were totally right. You have to get to know the client and what they like. So once you have done that and you've explored, you've taken them shopping, how do you really think about a room? Do you like I know some designers say, oh, you always start with the rug or you always start with the color palette. Is there a process? Oh, it depends on what. So what's the space look like? Is the house built? Are we doing construction? Are we renovating it? Are we changing the architecture? Because you don't. You want to get the dirty work out of the way first, Michael. You know what I'm saying? If you have to do construction and you have a certain amount of money or a budget, I always say to my clients, let's get the icky stuff out of the way so we can live in the space and and see how we want to, you know, use it and how we want to do it. So construction's first. And then I'm such a soft goods person. Okay. If the construction's done, then I go right into the decorating. So I find I like a big rug in the living room. So I tend to find that I have to make my rugs very often. I don't use antique carpets. I mean, sometimes I'll find them. Sometimes I won't. I mean, it's rare. So I like to look at the fabrics and the colors in the room. And I like sort of fresher colors. And I don't like gloomy. And I think people respond in a more positive way to sort of happy colors. And that it, it's not about brightness. It doesn't have to be primary colors to be happy, but to keep the room fresh. I like sort of fresh interiors. It's why I don't use Persian rugs so much, because I find the colors are a little somber and sad. Um, I tend to make a lot of, of, of custom-made rugs. And then, you know, we sort of build up from the fabrics, the patterns, the prints, or the solids. I still love curtains. You know, my curtain maker says to me, Alex, you know, you're one of the few people who really loves curtains still. And I do. I think they frame the view. I think it's like having no frame on a painting. I think that it it, it, it sort of softens the room. It absorbs sound. Um, and I love beautiful, comfortable, luxurious upholstery. I have clients who don't care about comfort and upholstery. And I'll be like, are you kidding me? Where do you sit? The, well, they don't care. That that's not that's not their sensibility. I have I have a few of them. And I'm like, okay, but you know, there has to be some level of comfort. So I encourage people to 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 sort of make comfortable rooms. But for me, I'm such a fabric person, Michael. I guess I start with the fabrics, I start with the rug, I start with, you know, the wall upholstery. I start with the wall, all that, because I, for me, that's what gives you the real impact. And then you pick the style of furniture. I mean, of course, it's all going hand in hand, and it's a process that's happening all at once. But I like, I, I, I love fabric. Now, it seems to me, Alex, you have always been who you are. As long as I've known you, you've been who you are, and you're very clear in, in your approach and what you love. And it seems to me the world was not going your way. You were such an anomaly almost in a way, you know, in that sense of carrying on grand decorating. Now the world, as I was saying, has come back to your point of view much more so. Not that there aren't still brilliant minimalists and whatever, but I think that the world has come back to you. So does that please you? Are you looking at what your next view is going to be? What's what, Are you going to evolve? Or do you feel that I'm this trying is... trying to... Michael, I'm always trying to evolve. Mm -hmm. I had these loving, divine parents who were a combination of love and nurture, but you could always do better. 
And I always sort of adopt that value to myself. I always think I could do a little more. I could be a little better at what I do. I could learn more. I could expose myself. I'm always, I never feel like I'm done. Do you know what I mean? Right. I'm always looking to see more and to understand something else. Right. So I don't know where it's going to go, Michael. I'm, I just, and I am, I'm often very inspired by my clients and how they live because everybody lives slightly differently. You know, everybody uses their house in a different way. Everybody has different needs, different tastes, different sensibility. I mean, we are all different. It's like why I, I, I don't understand, you know, the concept of sort of those cookie cutter interiors where you take every person and put them into those interiors. I don't get that because I only understand everybody as being an individual and sort of understanding who they are and how they want to live and then creating things that are unique for them. And that's why I like what I do, because I think there are a lot of ways to make money That's what you want to do. If you want to repeat something, this is about sort of, it's not about the process of of making money. It's about the process of creating something with somebody else that gives them joy. You know, there's nothing I love more when my clients call me and say, Alex, did I tell you I love my house? Did I tell you I love my house? You know, I'm so happy when I go see them and they're like, oh my God, we use this all the time. We're so happy. That's what makes my job magical. That's why I love what I do because I want them to love their home. It's so important to love your house. I think it also makes you a happier, sort of more positive person to wake up in the morning and to feel good at home. Right. I love to be surrounded by beautiful things and I like to create places where people they feel the beauty around them and it makes them feel good. You know, Beauty is very soothing to the soul, and it's very good for our psyche and who we are, and it's a positive thing. Well, Alex, I want to thank you so much for taking part in the Cherish Podcast, and thank everyone for listening. Thank you all. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time. <music>